Welcome to episode 45, season 2 of Me Against. I'm your host, Roger Sullivan. If we can, I'd like to take us back to a place that neither of us want to go to, roughly a year ago, the start of COVID-19. Life was normal. I was working. You were probably working. Everything as we knew it was going as planned. Then we started hearing about this thing called COVID-19. At first, it came out with a big like cloud of uncertainty. No one really knew anything about it, but we were being told that it was deadly and it would affect everybody. Two weeks was all that they were asking for. They wanted us to sacrifice our lives and do that sacrifice for those around us, for their safety and for the safety and benefit of the ones that they love. They said that we need to flatten the curve because the hospitals will be overwhelmed and the hospitals at this point they were claiming were operating at capacity and could not handle a surge that the virus was proclaimed to bring. That surge that the hospitals couldn't handle never really happened. I've heard from, and correct me if I need to be corrected, but from the medical personnel in my local area, yeah, everyone was scared. Yeah, they're, they weren't taking any more intakes. Um, they weren't really allowed to. Uh, everyone sort of had an upper hand of authority controlling them besides the upper hand of authority. The upper hand of authority decided to do what it wanted to do. And that was uh, put the whole state or the whole globe in a crisis. Was that crisis justified? For the first two or three weeks, I'm on board with you there. But after that, Any business owner knows that you just can't shut down for two or more weeks and survive. It's just not possible. Your debt is always haunting on your collections. So every time you're collecting a bill, it's either going out for sales and use, withholding taxes, or workman's comp insurance or liability insurance, Or one way or another, the government is always grabbing our hard-earned dollars. And in the beginning of COVID, that would be the strongest hand that would have kept me from saying that the government was fraudulently pushing COVID. I and every other small business owner who does any involvement in their own finances realize how much of government is ran by secondary property taxes and by business taxes or unemployment uh, 
insurance, taxes, or any of these um, protocols that they've normalized. Now, me personally, I'm a corporation. I have a business that is incorporated. So when everyone says corporate America, that is me. That is me, the one-person operation who at my biggest time employed another person. So a grand old company of two is corporate of America. So as COVID hit, there was a whole sentiment about corporate America being greedy. Um, that's me. They were saying I was greedy. Uh, I wasn't greedy. I was just between a wall and a hard spot. And I couldn't afford the luxury of letting my finances dribble in the rears so that I could pressure the taxpayers to catch me back up. I had to stay committed. I had to stay working. And I had to stay on top of my finances. Uh, For many people, they had a much more fortunate path. They were able to either work from home or stop working altogether and collect unemployment. Now, being a business owner who survived the crash of 2008, all too fresh in my memory is an encounter I had when I was overgoing my year-end taxes with my accountant. As we were going over what my deductions were by the month and then quarterly and annually, I kept noticing a category. And when I brought up this category to him, I had been paying this fee for all these years unbeknownst to me, but just not knowing what that fee was covering. So when I asked him what that fee pertained to, he stated that that is for the 2008 bailout. When the U.S. government started kicking out unemployment checks back in 2008, America's small business is the one who has to shoulder that. Every person you know who is out there paying unemployment tax through their state or unemployment insurance compensation through their state is making up the deficit for the 2008 stimulus that the U.S. government kicked out. Now, going into this 2020 COVID stimulus, immediately the two things I could think of was, one, the poor are not going to survive. They're going to get behind in their payments and then lose property. And then the people who have a little bit of financial cushion will be able to purchase up all this real estate and property at a discounted rate. And then the other thing that ran through my mind was the rate of inflation. Watching them shut down America business as they continued to print money that America business will be liable for in the future. Whether that is this year or over the course of the rest of your lifetime, small business 
will carry the brunt of the burden for this crisis. So as this was getting shut down, the only thing that kept me from going conspiracy theory was the thought that the states were cutting their own throat. Because without a business making money, that is the tax rate that the state gets. Um, But now you can sort of see how the state wants to regulate. Uh, And what I'm talking about is how they've cracked down on the restauranteurs, the owners of restaurants, how they're claiming that by keeping a restaurant open that they're uh, possibly harming the public. Where was these protocols as COVID came across our state lines? Why is it burdened on our restaurant owners now to bear the liability of this virus? This isn't a virus that originated out of the restaurant industry. If there's any industry that this originated out of, it'd be the medical or science industry. Why? So, I don't know. To me, Michigan and California really threw the book all in at the small business and the restaurant and entertainment industry, which I really don't understand. Recalling back to little over a year ago, families were on spring break and the cannabis industry was getting set for the biggest anticipated cannabis event to that date, Spanibus 2020 in Barcelona, Spain. For the cannabis industry, COVID hit right at the beginning of this monumental cannabis expo. While some of the biggest names in cannabis were already in Barcelona, Spain, the rest of them were boarding their planes and heading there. It reminded me of the Fry Festival. The Fry Festival was a music event that was a fraud. I'm not saying Spanibus was a fraud, but the way that COVID left the attendees of Spanibus hanging reminded me awfully much of the Fry Festival. Many people who arrived in Spain were quarantined and had to either smuggle their way back across the border or disrupt their plans and stay in a place that they didn't anticipate. In the beginning, Spain was one of the hardest hit areas, which is sort of odd in my eyes. Um, But with all the traveling, I guess I could see how that isn't so odd. Me, I was waist deep in a bathroom remodel. And my one and only other employee was getting ready to disembark on a trip to Ireland for college spring break with his girlfriend. My client, whose bathroom I had torn apart, 
and was in the process of re-putting back together. They were a wonderful young couple who were experiencing a pregnancy issue. So fortunately for me, as COVID hit, they were forced out of state as they were seeking proper, proper medical attention to care for their medical needs. As news of COVID spread started to circulate, I was immediately forced into a tough situation. From a liability standpoint as a business owner, I had some tough decisions to make. One, and mainly, was the safety of others around me. My employee for one, and my customers for two. With the information that I was receiving on COVID, Nothing was known other than we didn't know anything. I had no idea how long this was going to last. And at that point, I had to make some tough decisions. I decided to lay off my employee because I deemed I could not keep him safe from COVID. At this time, Michigan started issuing executive orders. Those executive orders were later challenged in the Supreme Court and found to be illegal executive orders or unlawful. Again, I'm not the attorney. You're going to have to do some of your own research on this. Myself, on the other hand, I had to continue working. I had to shelf my own care of safety and choose to work instead of isolate. I also had to regretfully demand that the customers quit showing up to their own home until I completed my project. The chance of cross-contamination at this time was too much of a concern for me. The last thing I wanted to do was cross-contaminate one of them and have anything happen to their unborn child. Fortunately, they were in a position to oblige. At this time, we were keeping COVID away with the simple use of soap and water. Even though the Lysol can under my kitchen counter from years earlier somehow claimed to kill 99% of all COVID viruses, upon this, COVID was a new phenomenon. Upon that, they had shut down the purchase of non-essential goods. Remember when COVID first striked? They limited what you were able to buy as non-essential. Here locally, they cordoned off the paint section at our local Walmart and put a sign on it saying non-essential. Sherwin-Williams had to close their doors and I had to resort to bootlegging paint. In order to finish my construction project in the free state of the United States of America in the state of Michigan in the year 2020, I had to bootleg paint. Not even lead paint, water-based legal paint I had to bootleg. I had to shelf my own safety and 
and choose to work through this. I didn't really have any other choice of really approaching this. It was say my prayers in the morning and hope that the good Lord abided by my will. And here I sit a year later thanking him for answering those prayers. The One of the turning points for me um, with this whole COVID thing, like I say, in the beginning, I took it very, very serious. Um, I had clients that I really didn't want to cause any harm to, but yet I was not in a financial position where I could just walk away from earning income. Then I started to pay attention and see who was left out for the slaughter. It was small business. Small business was shut down across the globe. Well, corporate America, not the corporate America that I'm a part, but the corporate America that is more political America, the career politicians, they're the ones who profited from this. While small businesses were shut down, gas station and grocery clerks were left prime for the picking to this virus. They were given simple N95 masks to protect them from a virus. I am a 26-year veteran to the building trades. I started sweeping floors in 1994 when strip malls were a fad. The company I worked for was big into development and cleaning with an N95 mask was something I did on a daily. Being part of this company, I was grateful for a few things. One is they implemented a safety protocol. In this safety protocol, we were trained how and when to use what masks and under what circumstances. For many years, I have been trained how to fit myself and how to fit others for 3M respirator masks. These masks are crucial in the safety of all employees who wear them. Inadequately fitted masks can lead to contamination that can cause serious illness or death. These are also the same masks that would be required in order to stop a virus. Upon looking further into the N95 masks, I realized that N95 just stood for they filter 95% of the particles three at a certain micron and below. I can't remember. I was about to say three microns and below, but I can't off the top of my head quote that. Uh, maybe I'll come back in another episode and drop that information there. But this is something I want you people to do. I want you to look up this information because hearing it from me isn't good enough. When you see it with your own eyes, 
it tells a different story. When you hear it with your ears, you can dismiss it without even a second thought. But when you read it and you can comprehend logic and you're a person who can understand and constructively criticize anything, then it stays locked in your head forever. Over the last year, I've also noticed a lot of censorship. And when you go and look for this N95 uh, information that I speak of, I can point you to the right directions. But I need to point out a few misinformations in those directions. The first thing I'm going to point you out to is the company that manufactures them. 3M has been a mask manufacturer for over 25 years. The whole time I've been in the construction industry, 3M has offered and supplied masks for any situation that I've come into, uh, whether it be organic vapors or hazardous uh, vapors from chemicals or toxins, all the way up to simple dust particles. And the dust particles is where the N95 mask is used. So go to 3M and look at their definition for what N95 mask is. You're also going to realize that there's an N100 mask. An N100 mask will filter 100% of the particle size above this micron that is called out. The N95 mask will still let 5% of that micron size through the filtration process. Now, the second part of this so difficult equation as it's been pulled out over the last year, and that equation is this mask equation, is what is a micron and what size micron does a mask catch and what size micron does a virus exist on so the n95 mass will catch anything over three tenths of a micron the covid19 virus has been stated to be less than half that size uh, the defense that we keep hearing is that uh, the virus attaches itself to some other aerosol droplet, and that aerosol droplet is much, much larger than what is needed to get trapped in an N95. Uh, again, simple little research on micron size of respiratory droplets will tell you that respiratory droplets in many situations are much smaller than what can be picked up by an N95 mask. And, you know, they're almost one-sixth, as small as one-sixth the size of an N95 mask. So, in my eyes, right off the get-go, week three or four into this uh, pandemic, plandemic, yeah, I said it, um, it's a little bit planned. We all know it was. But a little bit after a month into this, 
I started to let my guard down. And upon letting my guard down, I also realized the never cry wolf scenario that this whole situation puts us in. The next time we have a threat, no one's going to take it serious. And that is the biggest shame of COVID-19, is it has discredited the very next threat that will be validated. In my eyes, this is the equivalent of running into a crowded theater and yelling fire, and then counting the bodies afterwards saying, well, that's better than letting the whole place burn down. And then when someone's saying, well, yeah, the whole place wasn't on fire, you would just reply, well, I was just looking out for your best interest. Um, That is the logic I'm at with this, is this does not make sense. And thankfully, the Supreme Court has backed uh, that side of it with me, at least in Uh, dismissing these executive orders that were put in place. The other thing with COVID-19 and having government issue executive orders and shut down economies, uh, the part that really shocked me about that was that Michigan has already has a stop in place for government overreach in situations like this. I believe, let me see where we are here. It is what is called the Headley Amendment. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background on Richard Headley, and this is from Wikipedia. Richard Headley was a politician in Michigan. Uh, He was the unsuccessful Republican nominee for governor of Michigan in the 1982 election. He was also known as the author of the Headley Amendment, which requires voters' approval for many tax increases in Michigan. Now, due to my vast legal research over the past eight years with my civil suit, I've been all over standing up for my rights and liberties. And one thing that I have stumbled across is Headley Amendment violations within my township. Now, the Headley Amendment, let's give you a little bit of a background on the Headley Amendment. Um, let me get off Richard and get into the amendment so that we can get our information. So Headley is part of the Michigan State Constitution. Um, I'll go over briefly the different sections of it here, and I am reading directly from the Michigan Legislators website from the State Constitution, Constitution of Michigan of 1963. So this is subsection 6, real intangible personal property, limitation on general ad valorem taxes, adoption and alteration of separate tax limits, exceptions to limitations, 
property tax on school districts extending into two or more counties. The next part that Headley addresses in the Constitution is Section 25 of the State Constitution of Michigan of 1963. Now, this is the part of Headley that I have come across in my legal research. Section 25 says voter approval of increased local taxes, prohibitions, emergency conditions, repayment of bonded indebtedness guaranteed, implementation of section. Now, before I mention on that one, I'll just go right through all of them. I want to come back to Section 25. Section 26 of the State Constitution of Michigan of 1963, limitation on taxes, revenue limit, refunding or transferring excess revenues, exceptions to revenue limitations, adjustment of state revenue, and spending limits. Section 27, exceeding revenue limits, conditions. Section 28, Limitation on expense of state government. This is a short one, so I'll read it real quick. No expense of the state government shall be incurred in any fiscal year which exceeds the sum of revenue limited established in Section 26 and 27 of this article plus federal aid and any surplus from a previous fiscal year. 29, Section 29 is state financing of activities or service required of local government by state law. That sounds pretty pertinent. This state is hereby prohibited from reducing the state's finance proportion of the necessary costs of any existing activity or service required of units of local government by state law. A new activity or service or an increase in the level of activity or service beyond that required by existing law shall not be required by the legislator or any state agency of units or of local government unless a state appropriation is made and dispersed to pay the ucal to pay the unit of local government for any necessary increased costs. The provision of this section shall not apply to costs incurred pursuant to Article 6, Section 18. Now, the last few sections of Headley are state financing of activities or service required of local government, reduction of state spending paid to units of local government, Leveling, levying taxes on increasing rate of existing tax, maximum tax rates on new base, increased in assessed valuation of property, and exception to limitations. Um, section 32 is suit to enforce sections 25 and 31. And section 33 is definitions. And section 34 is implementation. So the implementation says the legislator shall implement the provisions of sections 25 through 30 through 33, inclusive of this article. Now, 25 through 33, that's like the half last dozen things I read off 
the voter approval of increased local taxes. Um, in a nutshell, what Headley does is it puts a choke collar on the state of Michigan. And I believe in Bolt versus Lansing, it really breaks down where the government can inflict its authority. And in Bolt versus Lansing, it says if it's a tax, it needs to be supported by the voters. If it's a fee, then it doesn't need to be. But it needs to be proportional to the service that's provided. It needs to be optional. So someone can refuse it if they want. And three, it cannot be for a revenue-supporting purpose. Now, again, I'm no lawyer, but what I see out of Hadley is... And furthermore, what I see from the decision in Bolt versus Lansing is that the government cannot force the residents and the businesses of this state to comply unless the state can cover the finances for the damages. Um, I guess my opinion of this is, if I'm reading Headley through the Constitution correctly, and Headley as interpreted by the Michigan Supreme Court in Bolt versus Lansing. What Headley says is if the state of Michigan wants to mandate something, the state of Michigan has to finance it. If the state of Michigan cannot finance the mandation of that something, then the state cannot mandate it. The only way the state can do that is by letting the taxpayers cut their own throats and vote for higher taxes. And those are what are called Headley overrides. Um, just doing a quick little Google search on Headley as I was looking up this information, I came across where a few districts had proposed Headley overrides uh, to their voters last election. If your district is looking at a Headley override, my opinion would be that they are strapped for money and they are spending well beyond what they are intaking. And it's only a matter of time before their britches are burned by official misconduct. Again, that is my opinion, um, but that's what this show is about, is my opinion. I honestly wish I could have started Season 2 off on a much more positive note. I really wish I could have also did Season 2 where it was a lot less about politics and a lot less about my search for this elusive justice system. Over the last year, I've also noticed that the sentiment has been more and more to not talk about politics. There used to be a time where you didn't talk about religion or politics. And honestly, I think that is what brought us here. I think ignoring those two 
important aspects of our culture and just shelving any discussion that may go against someone else's thoughts or beliefs. I think when we censor ourselves, we're just making room for the bullies and the tyrants to bull us over. So I tr- I'm going to try my hardest to put a positive spin on this season, but at the same time, there's too much on the line. Everything that I have spent the last 26 years of my life building and preparing is getting ripped away from me and others like me. And I won't stay silent anymore. So stick with me as future episodes will get into these topics and deeper ones to come. But again, I will pick up on uh, my other desire, which is growing cannabis and teaching the tricks and methods that I'm currently using. Thanks again for listening to Me Against with your host, Roger Sullivan. Subscribe and like to listen to the next available podcast when I release it. I will try to get these out on weekly intervals, but please don't hold me to that. Being a business owner and trying to fight for justice in Michigan's legal system is taxing enough. Trying to come together with enough content to keep all of you interested uh, is another burden that I don't mind doing. But that burden does take time. So please be patient with me. And again, reach out to me with your questions and comments. And you can do that at the email 20sullivan20 at yahoo.com. And that is all spelled out. There is no numbers in that email address. It is all text and letters. Again, it is 20sullivan20 at yahoo.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and hopefully you come back to listen to many more of my episodes. Good day.